there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. In our condition, we are thoroughly convinced the world that we live in is outside of us. This is how we go through life. We go through life outside. We walk through life. We walk through the living room. We get in a car. We walk outside. We go through doors. We go into different rooms. We go and we get in a little car. We open the door. We get in the car. We close the door. We put a key in the ignition. Unless you got some really super car, we just push a button and it starts. Boom! So there's $20,000. Boom! Right down the road. And then you get to drive away for another $30,000 or whatever. And it's like we live in this outside world. We're convinced that this is the world we live in. We are convinced that we are physical beings living in a physical world governed by physical laws. And then esoteric teachings come along and say, no, 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 you're mistaken. And we say, no, 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 you're mistaken. You may be a spiritual being living in a spiritual world governed by spiritual laws, but we have not arrived at that yet. We are still physical beings living in a physical world governed by physical laws. And then the esoteric teachings say, no, you really are mistaken about this. You really are asleep and you really are dreaming and you really don't know. But we have awakened and we really do know. And it would serve you to listen to us and stop listening to your other bedmates the other people who are sleeping in bed with you. All of humanity is sleeping in bed with us. This planet is one big, sealy, posturepedic mattress, as far as I can tell, or whatever is whatever counts sheep for you, whatever it is. But we're the sheep, you see, and every once in a while, a sheep disappears, or maybe a whole group of sheep disappear. It's okay, because there's so many sheep, we hardly even miss them, but they disappear. And it's like, oh, whatever happened to Sally's sheep or Harry's sheep, you know? Well, they're gone. Where'd they go? Well, I don't know. I guess somebody's having a sheep barbecue somewhere on the moon. That's what the work teaches. But of course, I don't teach it that way. I change everything around and make it light and stupid so that people consider this work to be not the secret handshake, wonderful thing that it really is, but they just take it as, oh my gosh, look at this. It's just like a tool. It's like a wrench or a screwdriver. Well, for you women, a butter knife, because I know you don't know what a screwdriver is. But... <laughs> and not all women, of course. Some women actually know what a screwdriver is, and they can tell the difference between a screwdriver and a butter knife. It's just that if a screwdriver isn't around, they're smart enough to use a butter knife where guys will go tearing the house apart and yelling at the woman to find out where the screwdriver is. Who's been messing with my tools? You know, where the woman will just pick up a butter knife and, you know, mess around with it until she electrocutes herself or whatever. <laughs> of course, it doesn't always work out that way. All right, I have digressed a little bit, haven't I? But, you know, it's okay. And why it's okay is because this work for me, although it is probably the heaviest thing you will ever come in contact with in life, it needs to be approached lightly. And why it needs to be approached lightly is not because the work is light, but because we need to be light about it. We need to not be so heavy and serious about all of our flaws. Because when we start to realize how messed up we are, it can get very depressing. And I think, you know, it's not going to change anything. You just get worse. You just get deeper. You just get heavier. It just gets darker. So lighten up a little bit. You know, it's like, yeah, you're a mess. Yeah, you're probably going to die. Yeah, you're probably going to die asleep like a dog. Boo-hoo. But until then, 
you have time to work. There are things that you could do, so let's do that. And let's let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. There's enough trouble today. We don't need to borrow some from tomorrow. We don't need to worry about what it's going to be like in a month or two months or a year or ten years. Let's just concern ourselves with right now. It makes everything lighter, makes everything brighter, makes everything easier. It's never going to be really easy-peasy, but, well, maybe, but it may not be anytime soon for you. <laughs> so due to this erroneous belief, our energy is constantly drawn where it is completely wasted, robbing us of the force we might use to develop and escape nature or this outside world in which we think we're living. And as I said, in our condition, this condition of sleep that we're in, we're thoroughly convinced that the world we live in is outside, that it's not inside of us, that it's outside of us. And the whole world agrees. As Esotericism teaches us, the world is how we take it. This is a strange concept, how we take it. Yes, we insist that we take it as it is. And that's what we do with esotericism. We say, yes, the world is how I take it, and how I take it is how it is. See, we don't see that we have a choice in how we take it. We don't see that at all. We think that the only way we can take it is the way we took it. That there's no other way it could be taken. And we have all kinds of friends and relations who agree with us. Oh, no, that's right. Yes, when somebody pulls out in front of you, you're supposed to get upset and angry and flip them off. Absolutely, yell at them, too. If you're from New Jersey, you have carte blanche to call them foul names. If you're from New York, you have carte blanche to call them foul names and flip them off. And if you're from Connecticut, well, then you have carte blanche to just flip them off, but you're not allowed to call them foul names. You know, like that. We have these rules, the regional rules, like regional laws, you know, it's like the speed limits. Regional laws where it's like, well, the speed limit is this in this area, but over in this area, it's different. So we've just got to go figure out what the rules are, and then everything will be fine. So that's how we stay in this outside world. We stay believing in it. We stay thinking that it's not how we take it, that we take it as it actually is. In other words, there's no difference between the outside world and the inside world for us. Everything that's happening on the outside world is happening on the inside world for us. In other words, if somebody's doing something negative out there, we're negative in here. We take it as it is. So we're sure of that. We take it as it is, not some other way. That only Pollyannas and idiots and insane people take it some other way. What kind of a person who some people insult them? What kind of a person is happy about that and doesn't strike back? Well, crazy person, of course. A person who's not playing with a full deck. A person who is too weak to strike back and stand up for himself. We have all these other things. A person who's afraid or a sissy or whatever. We have all these rules and regulations, but we think because we can't imagine someone not being able to be made negative by the outside world. It's like, well, that's not possible. Why is that not possible? Well, it's not possible because we insist we take the outside world. We take things as they are. We insist on that. We insist that we're not negative. The world is negative, and it just makes us negative when it comes into us. That's what we insist. This is our first line of defense. Now, this is what our five senses and our acquired bits present to us. See, we've got all these acquired attitudes and habits of thinking and feeling and reacting and old associations and pictures and all these things that we've acquired in life. We've gone through life and we've picked up a little here and a little there, and we've got it all in this storage room that we call us, ourselves. And it's all stored in there. It's all stored in records and memories, and it's all there. And we can access it instantaneously because we're like these supercomputers. And we access the same thing all the time. What search engine do you use? Use Samol. It's the same old one you used last time. And what are you going to get? Same old. Same old thing you got last time. And what's that going to do? Same old. It's going to give you the same old thing you have now. So life never changes for you because you're doing the same old thing. You're thinking the same old thoughts, using the same old search engine. Everything's always the same. And so nothing ever changes. So this work comes along and says, no, you can change your thinking. 
You can change how you think. You can invite new ideas from outside of life into you. And those ideas can begin to order your mind in a way that it begins to change. That you actually begin to renew your mind. Not just repeat what has always been in your mind, but you actually begin to renew it. So that something new comes into your mind. So that you begin to think in a new way, in a different way. This is what esotericism calls metanoia or The gospel is called repentance, which really doesn't mean repentance. It means change your mind, change the way you think about things. And this is where the work begins with us, changing the way we think about things. It's very difficult at first because some of us are so set in our ways. Well, we're all set in our ways, but some of us haven't suffered quite enough at our own hands to be willing to give up our ways. And some of us have suffered quite a bit at our own hands, but we have blamed it on other people. We said, well, they're doing it to me. And so we haven't quite had enough. We have to realize somehow that it's at our own hands. This can take a long time, depending on how stubborn you are. And if you're still here after all these years, I think that's evidence enough that you're pretty stubborn. Because of the powerful action of the hypnotism of life, we can't distinguish between the external world and the internal world. Now, you think you do, and this is a great problem because you think you do, just like you think you're awake and just like you think you can do and just like you think that you have changed your mind and just like you think that you're really awake and now you're just waiting for, I don't know, what's going to happen before like it all gets good, right? Because it's like it's just a matter of time now because you're awake, right? This is, come on, you got to know that this is what you think. Maybe you don't know that. So we experience both worlds, the external through the senses and the internal, in other words, how we take the external. We have enough control over the external world to provide us enough imagination to believe that we can control it. What can you control in the external world? Well, you say nothing, but that's not true. Think about it. You drive your car. You made it here on time, so you're here. So you can do that. You were there yesterday at my house. You drove your car. You got over to my house. So you could do that. So you can do enough in the external world to give you the illusion that you can do in the external world. You get it? So don't just sit there like an, an idiot automaton machine and say, no, I can't do I don't know. Oh, no. You do. You do think you can do. You have enough evidence and control over the external world to give you the imagination, the illusion that you can believe you control it. And what that effectively does is it keeps us glued to it. We stay glued to the external world by taking the little bit of control that we have in it. If nothing stopped you from getting here this morning, if you didn't have a flat tire, if this, if that, all these other things, if nothing stopped you, you had control, which means ultimately you had no control. But you see, we don't believe that because we don't think that deeply. We don't direct our thoughts that deeply. Do you see that? Do you see that when I asked you the question, you didn't think about it, you reacted. And how did you react? You reacted the way you always react. You Googled it with your little Google-a-thon search engine inside yourself. You samoled it. You samoled it, and the same old stuff came up. What's the same old stuff? Well, just a Surface card came up. Well, no, the work says, I don't have control, I can't do. Therefore, the answer to this question is, no, I don't believe that I can do. Well, it's not true at all. If you had thought about it, if you had directed your thinking, if you had followed that through, you would have found that the work says a lot of other things too. And you would have been able to read those cards and say, okay, I've directed my thought now and I see that, yes, that's true. I really do believe that I control some things in this world. I really do. I believe that I can comb my hair any way that I want. I believe that I pick this or that to wear today. I believe that I could put my left shoe on before my right shoe today or my right shoe on before my left shoe. I believe that I could brush my teeth with my left hand. Well, yeah, you could. You could do all those things. All you'd have to do is remember to do it. And all you'd have to do to remember to do it would be to wake up a little bit. 
So you could do that if you could wake up a little bit. Well, can you wake up a little bit? Well, yeah, sometimes I can. What is that a function of? Well, that I don't know. So then you can't really control it. No, I can't really control it. So we see it's both ways. We see that there are some things that we can do if nothing stops us. And we see that mostly we can't do anything because we don't have control over the external world. But we're glued to it by thinking that we do have this control. And we expand it because imagination satisfies every center. If you do actually believe that you have control over a few things, look, I can move my hand, look, I'm scratching my head, look, I can do this, I can do that. That's proof that I can do. So once you believe that, it's a very small step for imagination to turn it into everything. Well, yes, I do everything that I want to do. And then it goes to, well, I've always done everything that I wanted to do, and I always will do everything that I do. Yes, that's why my life works, and the only thing that stops it is these stupid people who are getting in my way. And then we're stuck again. So that keeps us glued to life. So we have enough control over our internal world, in other words, how we take the external world, to feed the imagination that we can change it whenever we like. Let me give you an example of this, because this is a tough one. People don't believe this one. They think, oh, no, 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 I don't think that. I remember one time we were up in the mountains hunting, and uh, this guy had a new Suburban, brand new, and he drove it on a ledge that was all icy and snowy, and every time he moved the vehicle, it slid closer to going over the edge, and it was a long way down. Do you remember this? It was a long way down, and this was his brand new car, and he was just beside himself with a case of nerves, thinking, you know, I've got to get this out of here, but I can't, and everything I do is wrong. It just slides over. So I said, well, get out of the driver's seat. You go stand over there. I'll drive it out. And so he did. He got out, and I drove it out, and I got it into a place where we were getting it out. He said, okay, okay, I got it. I got it now. I'm, I got it now. I'm, I'm over it. I said, okay. And he got back in, and sure enough, it didn't take him two minutes, and he was sliding over the edge again. And he freaked out. No! here drive it some more get it out of here so i got back in and drove it out and i said you see that's it we imagine that we got it he imagined oh i've got it all under control internally i'm no longer afraid i understand now i understand that when my fear was controlling me and making me do all these stupid things and blah 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 blah. he didn't understand anything he imagined that he had his internal world under control. This is the same thing that we do. We imagine that we have our internal world under control. We imagine this, and we imagine that we can change it whenever we like. And why haven't we changed it? Well, I'm just not ready yet. It's not that important to me. This is not true. Thereby, we live under the illusion that we can control the external world and our own internal world while we control little or nothing of either. But we now have this illusion that we do control both, that we can do things in the world externally and that we can do things in the world internally pretty much whenever we like. The slightest amount of proper self-observation will show us this. If you don't see this now, it's because now you are not observing yourself. If you have seen this before, you have it in work memory and you can bring that up and say, yes, I know that what you're saying is true. I have observed that. But right now, are you observing it? No, right now I'm listening to you. Well, right now you need to be listening to me and observing yourself listening to me. Are you doing that? Oh, shut up. Why do you always have to make it more complex than it already is? Because I'm a tool of negative astral forces busy destroying mankind. And this is just part of that. So that's the main reason. This work is about how we take the external world into our internal world. This is the only place we can have any real control over anything at all. How we take the external world into our internal world. This is the only place where we have a window of opportunity to make any difference with anything. We don't believe that, but it is the truth. As we are, we're identified with the phenomenal world. That's the world of appearances. All of these things. Right? This is my hat. 
This is my bag. This is my recorder. This is Jess's glass of water that he's loaned to me. We have all these things with which we are identified in the external world. Now, everything that we identify with in the phenomenal world, in the external world, the world of appearances, we try to juggle that world rather than deal with our own internal world where the external enters it. So what we do is we protect our hat. We guard our computer laptop, you know. We make sure nobody steals it. We keep our purse close to us so that somebody doesn't come along and take it. We keep our doors locked. We have insurance for our cars. We have all of these things to guard all of these things that we're identified with. And we call that just common sense. And it is common sense. It's also being completely identified with those things. Just because you have common sense doesn't mean you have to be identified. And just because you're identified doesn't mean you have common sense. The two things do not necessarily go together at all. We're driven by external life, by the world of events that are revealed to us through our senses. All of this is revealed to us through five shaky little windows that are very dirty, that have curtains over them, that have shutters, that sometimes are open and sometimes are closed, sometimes are facing this way and sometimes are facing that way. And it's just very thin. Our reality is very thin because we're only looking through five little windows at our reality. And we're imagining that we see everything, that we know everything, because we look through these five little windows. And because we have looked through these five little windows for so long, we don't even know the windows are dirty. We don't even know they have screens on them. We don't even know they have curtains in front of them or shutters or whatever. Filters, we don't know that plants have grown up in front of them. We don't know what we're seeing anymore. We go and we look out the window where we've always looked out the window and we see what we've always seen. Is that what's there? Well, we don't know. We just imagine that we know. That's how bad it is for us. We are seeing through attitudes, old associations, pictures, all the memories, all these things. We're seeing through all of those things. We have no idea what's really out there. It's as if someone took pictures of what was out there. And then they took those pictures and they had them blown up into poster size. And then they glued them on the outside of the windows. So every time we go to the window, we look and we see the same thing. Not a good way to take in the world, but it's how we do it. Try and convince someone that's how they do it. That is not true. That's not the way it is. Well, okay, then this work isn't for you. Just that simple. This work just simply is not for you. Come around someday when you think it might be that way. Come around someday when you have some self-doubt. Come around someday when you smell the smoke and you don't think it's a barbecue. Think, oh my God, maybe that guy's right. Maybe my house is on fire. Come around that day, then maybe the work will be for you that day. But right now, if you don't think anything about it, if you just think that's hogwash, that's just, that's ridiculous, then this work is not for you right now. Maybe it'll be for you later. Maybe there'll be something else for you. I mean, you know, besides the fire department and the ambulance and all that stuff. But we are driven by external life. The world of events that's revealed to us through these five little windows that are pretty messed up. Without self-observation, we can't know this as an experience. And so we remain stuck. You've got to have the ability to observe yourself properly, or none of this can be an experience for you. It's all just words, theory, stuff that you hear other people say, but it doesn't make any difference. No real difference. It just goes into your intellect. It stays there long enough to ferment. It ferments into imagination. And imagination is bubbly. Imagination is like champagne. Once it ferments, it makes you drunk. And once you're drunk, forget about it. You're not going to see anything the way it really is. So this is why self-observation is so important. And this is why it's so important to be observing all the time. Because what you allow to come into your intellectual center, if you don't apply it and use it, it will ferment and turn into imagination. 
and you will get drunk on that imagination, and who knows when you'll come out of your stupor, and who knows what it will cost you. And this is why I said to Jess this morning, you know, you need to stay awake all the time because you never know when you're going to be able to wake up again. You do not know. When you go with negative emotions, you do not know when you're going to get free of them. It could be in a moment. It could be in a few hours. It could be in a few days. It could be in a few weeks. I've seen people get stuck in negative emotions until the day they died, and they died in their negative emotions. You have too. People who hated certain members of the family right up to the time they died. Folks, that's negative emotions, and that's dying in your negative emotions. That's never waking up in this life. You know that people do it. I can tell by the terrified look on your face. You know people who have done it, and you know that you could do it because you hate people. There are people that you hate, and you keep on hating them because you think you'll get around to it some other day. You think you'll get around to it when they get a little nicer. You think you'll get around to it when you have some other energy to put into that, to canceling the account. You think you'll get around to it at some other time. Don't believe it. You could end up dying that way. That's the terror of the situation. You are deluded. You are drunk with imagination. You imagine that you're going to be able to do it, and you're not doing it. So driven by life, we're mere functions of life, which prevents us from developing our internal world. As long as we're glued to the world through the five senses, we're not going to develop anything internally. All of our energy is going to be drawn out here, just like all of your money is drawn out there now. Have you ever noticed where your money goes? never goes to the things that are important to you. It always goes first to the things that are supposedly not important to you. Why? Because it's drawn, it's sucked, it's taken. It's taken from you. Why is it taken from you? Because you do not have awareness in that area. That's why. It's taken from you because you are asleep. And while you sleep, a strong man comes into your house, binds you, and robs you. When you're awake, you know when the strong man is coming, and so you're ready. It's when you're asleep that you get robbed. This is why it's not such a good idea to sleep as much as we do. But perhaps you're not convinced of that yet. As we work, we begin to develop an internal world not completely dependent upon the phenomenal world. In other words, you actually start to have a little space inside of yourself where no matter what is going on in the world, you might have some peace of mind. You might have some happiness. You might have some real joy. You might have a sense that, you know, well, it doesn't really matter what the world does. I'm okay. I've got this space inside of myself that insulates me from that. Have you got that? Have you had that? Because that's slow going, imagination takes over, we often get snagged, spinning our wheels in pride, vanity, imagination. So when I say, well, have you got that? You go, oh, yeah, I've got that. Really? And how much have you got that? Oh, well, I guarantee you that I imagine I have it much more than I really do. How do we know that? Well, Jess's question this morning was a perfect example. I'm in negative emotions. I don't even know it. I like them. They're pleasant negative emotions. How do I wake up in that? How do I set alarm clocks so I can wake up then? Good question. You see, that just tells you how much in imagination we are. That tells you how much we are in pride and vanity. That tells you where this work is allowed to fall on us. It falls in all the places in us where we have lots and lots of area. And we have big tracts that are dedicated to pride. Big tracts of internal land that are dedicated to vanity. Huge hectares of land that are dedicated to imagination. So when it rains, when the work rains there, we know where the rain lands. We know where it goes. We know where it lands. And we know what it does. It grows imagination, pride, and vanity. Because those are the crops we plant there. We forget all that. Why? Because we believe our imagination. We believe in our pride. We believe in our vanity. Because we want to believe in our pictures of ourselves as how darned wonderful we are. Because we love ourselves so much. Self-love that causes all this. Self-adoration that causes all this. It's nothing else. That's all that it is. 
Rather than admit that we still have a long way to go, we observe more selectively, only seeing how well we're doing, being lulled back to sleep. We look at, oh, I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. Well, I used to be that way, but I'm not that way anymore. And it's like, well, check with the people in your life and see how true that is. I'm pretty sure that they're going to tell you it's not as true as you think it is. In fact, let me just tell you right now, they're not going to tell you it's as true as you think it is. You're in imagination. You're puffing yourself up. You're in pride and vanity and imagination. Now, just do me a favor and do yourself a favor. Take that as the rule of thumb to go by instead of, well, look how well I'm doing. Take that as the rule of thumb to go by. You know, I'm not doing nearly as well as I thought I was. Take that as your ground of being. I'm not doing nearly as well as I thought I was. I think I need to work a little more. I think I need to observe myself a little more. I think I need to have a little less imagination. If you'll come down on that side of the fence, I promise you, you'll make better progress than always coming down on the side of the fence of how well you're doing and how wonderful you are. And look at all the progress you've made. And why won't these damn people acknowledge how well I've done? Really makes me mad. Oh, well, you know, I'm not negative, no. No, I'm not negative, I'm just saying, that's all. See, like that, that's what I mean. If you get a little whiff of yourself there, you know, you know when you've been out for a run or something and you get a little whiff of yourself and you go, oops, time for a shower. You, that's what you need to be doing in this work. You need to be getting a little whiff of yourself and go, ooh, you know, maybe it's time for a little bit of self-observation. Maybe it's time to wash away some of this imagination, pride, and vanity that's making me stink so bad. See, that's part of our unpleasant manifestations that other people have to tolerate and that we have to tolerate when we get a whiff of ourselves. <laughs> she has such a nice way of putting things. No wonder people are flocking to my door. <laughs> okay. We must come to understand we don't need to feel so upset by life's events streaming around us all the time. It's like we're like a bubble in a stream, you know, that's hooked onto something. And all of life's events are just streaming by us. And while they're streaming by us, we're being upset by each one. Oh, this, oh, that, oh. We're being upset by all these streaming events coming by us. You don't have to be. There's no rule that says you have to be. You don't have to be. Oh, sure I have to be. I've always been. No, you don't have to be. There's a way not to be. Really? Well, I'd be interested in hearing about that. And then you hear about it and you go, oh, well, that's not possible. Well, I guess you weren't that interested in hearing about it, were you? You know, most people are interested in hearing about this work for about two minutes. And then all of a sudden it looks like they may have to do something and it's not going to turn out the way they want it to turn out. And they're not going to be able to blame people or, or keep their negative emotions or whatever, or keep their dreams or keep their lust or keep whatever it is that they want to keep, keep their precious self, their precious self-love and pride and vanity. They think that it's going to threaten that. <coughs> this work is jettisoned out the window. Get rid of that. That guy's full of balloon juice. Yes. But we don't need to feel so upset by life's events. Here I recommend you continue to err on the side of the work. You're not one, you can't do, you're not properly conscious, and what little you have been able to change is nowhere near enough. If you're going to flip on one side of the fence or the other side of the fence, land on that side. If you get too depressed, I'll throw you a flashlight, you know. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Or I'll throw you a couple batteries, you know, for your flashlight. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. Stop telling yourself how well you're doing and let someone else tell you. It's just, just a good idea. You know, stop telling yourself how well you're doing. Wait for somebody else to tell you. But they never tell me. <laughs> well, you know, well, I'll tell you. When I think you're doing well, I'll tell you. Don't I tell you? Yeah, but not enough, right? Right, not enough. Not anywhere near enough. So you have to do things to make me see so that I'll tell you. Yeah, I noticed that, you know. 
doesn't work, but it's kind of funny watching it, isn't it? And another thing is stop going on those fishing expeditions. You know what a fishing expedition is, don't you? Fishing expedition is when you go fishing. Well, I was blah, 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 and you tell the story. And then somebody's supposed to say, oh, good job. That's a fishing expedition where you're fishing for compliments, where you're fishing for acknowledgement, where you're fishing for someone else to tell you how well you're doing. Where did that come from? Well, it came from you already telling yourself how well you're doing and breaking your arm, pounding yourself on the back. Hey, good job, good job. Now get other people to see that too. And they can tell you about it and verify it for you. It's like, let it all go, people. Let it all go. Come down on the other side of the fence. Stop trusting and believing every thought that pops into your head as if it were your thought and truth. You know, just because it pops into your head and you thought it doesn't mean it's the truth. What do you mean by that? Oh, it's just what I said. doesn't mean it's the truth. And if your self-love is offended by that, well, let it be offended. Just step back and look at it. Oh, look at that. Self-love is offended. <laughs> Poor little self-love. It always gets so offended. Always gets its feathers ruffled. Always gets annoyed. And it does. It's so sensitive. It's so pouty. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that about self-love? It's so much better to look at it that way, isn't it? Than to say, they're picking on me again. Just look at it like, oh, look at self-love. It's so pouty again. Oh, please, get a life, will you? And please, go get someone else's, because I'm not going to let you have mine anymore. That's just simple separation. Self-observation, simple non-identification, separation. That's all we're asked to do. Not difficult. Just a matter of doing it. Try to do it when it's easier, because then when it's harder, it'll be easier, because you'll have better practice. You'll just have more muscles for it. You'll have better agility at it. So try to do it like now, like just where you're smiling when I was saying, well, look at poor little self-love. It's got its little feelers hurt. Oh, here you are, little self-love. Don't worry. You see, but you're separate from it. You can pat it on the back. Here you go, baby. Don't worry. You'll get to be the tyrant of the universe soon enough. You know, <laughs> it'll be back on top soon enough, making you pay. When you observe, remember you're seeing only the tip of the iceberg. This is something that I, I notice that people, people that I know, people that I'm working with, they seem to think that they observe something and they go, oh, I see it all now. No, you don't. All you've done is picked up the first breadcrumb that Hansel and Gretel left. That's all you've done. You've just picked up the first breadcrumb. You are nowhere near the door. You're just on your way starting to find the breadcrumbs. You're starting to recognize the breadcrumbs from the mushrooms right now. That's all. So just make sure that you keep on picking up the breadcrumbs because you're nowhere near done observing. So don't even go there. Well, I've observed this and I know. You don't know anything. You just observed the tip of the iceberg. 90% of it is still in the dark to you. So come down on that side of the fence instead of how wonderful you are and how well you observe. For us, it is not either or. It's a combination of machine and developing potential human. You are a developing potential human and a machine. Most of the time, you're a machine. And some of the time, you're a developing potential human. But most of the time, you're still a savage beast. Come down on that side of the fence instead of always coming down on the side of the fence of how wonderful you are. Because that's the side of the fence you've been living on your whole life. And it hasn't really done that much for you, in case you hadn't noticed. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 and 48, there's an interesting little bit of information that I'd like to share with you. That is, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and then sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. The fish are the impressions of the external world that go swimming by, streaming by us. Okay, those are the fish. And there are all kinds of fish. 
And really, your awareness, your consciousness, your life is like this dragnet that you've cast out into the stream of life, into the external world. And it gathers up all these fish. And then the fish are all drawn into your internal world. Now, where we are lacking is we're not sitting down on the beach and separating, gathering them, and the good fish put into containers and the bad ones we throw away. That's where we're not holding up our part of it. We're gathering it in, all right. The dragnet's out there. We're gathering it all in. It's coming into our internal world. But we're not sitting on the beach determining what we're going to keep and what we're going to throw away. And that takes self-remembering, that takes consciousness, that takes self-observation, and that means you've got to remember these work ideas so you can tell good from bad. Because you don't know good from bad, just in case you hadn't noticed, as Jess's question was this morning, well, how come when I'm feeling negative and it feels good, I don't observe myself? Well, that's why, because it feels good, because you're calling something, you're calling a bad fish a good fish. That's why. You're calling bad impressions good impressions. You need the work to tell you good from bad, to tell you right from wrong. You can't decide for yourself. You're an idiot. How dare you say that? Oh, poor little precious self-love. Did you get your little feelers hurt? Don't worry, honey. You'll be back on top soon. Soon as mean old James is gone, then you can come and talk about how bad he is and how he got it all wrong. But until then, why not just let poor little self-love sit over there in the corner and sulk while you try and get something for yourself? That's my recommendation from mean old James. If we wish an expanding consciousness, which of course is the kingdom of heaven. Remember, it starts off with, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. So the kingdom of heaven is an expanding consciousness. Now, if the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet, so if you wish to have an expanding consciousness, the kingdom of heaven, then you've got to begin to sit down to become aware of the external world as impressions. You've got to see them as impressions. You've got to see these fish. These are impressions. And then mix them with esoteric ideas before allowing them entrance into our internal world. So you take these impressions and you mix them with these work ideas, with these esoteric ideas. And when you mix them, you will see that some of them are just not fit for your internal world. And you just cast them apart, cast them aside. No. And some of them are fit. Maybe you don't know where they all fit, but they are fit. So you allow them in. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So if that's what you want, then that's what you need to do. If you want your internal world to look something different from the external world, then I'm telling you how to do it. I'm giving you the tools that you need to be able to do it. All you'll have to do is do it. Otherwise, we're machines driven by the phenomenal world of events with nothing about us distinctively different from life. Why is it that people in life all look the same? Why is it when you go to high school, all the kids are wearing the same haircuts, the same shorts, the same shirts, the same, 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 same. And you'll see little groups of kids. You'll see two over here wearing this scarf. You'll see two over there wearing their hat like that. You'll see three over there like this. You'll see nine over there like that. Why is that? Well, because there is absolutely no difference between them, no distinctive difference between them and life. Because their external world and their internal world is exactly the same. There is no difference. They have nothing in them that can separate them from life. So they take the external events of life in directly, and their internal world looks exactly like their external world. You're not much better. Not much better, but at least you got something. They haven't got that yet. Maybe they'll never get it. But look at how many people in life there are like that. Here's my recommendation. If you're interested in a recommendation, this is not advice. This is a recommendation. Just recommend this. An admonishment, if you will. Don't be one of them. Use this work. Use these ideas so that you are not one of them. Don't judge them. Just don't be one of them. That's all. Just make a better choice. Go with better eyes. Go with better ideas and better eyes. What life does outside, we react to inside like puppets getting angry, hurt, depressed. Blah, 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 blah. All that stuff. 
You can take impressions coming from the phenomenal world, either mechanically or consciously. You have this power. You have this latent ability. It's latent. You do not exercise it now, but you can learn to do it. Just like you have the right not to be negative, what that means is you have the power not to be negative. You have the choice not to be negative. You must exercise that choice. You must make effort, but you have that choice. You have that right. It is a God-given right. You have the right. This may not appear to be true when we first begin to see what machines we are and how driven we are by life. Through proper self-observation, we begin to see ourselves identifying with every typical event that life offers us and that we are utter slaves to the external world, just like teenagers are to fashion and they are to peer pressure. You know, you look at, go to a high school, it's absolutely absurd. It's really just comical to see what they do. It's like, oh my God, these poor kids. They're just driven by what everybody else is doing, driven by what's on MTV, driven by what this girl or that guy is doing. They're just driven by that. They're completely driven by that. They have no choice. They just must do what they think is going to make them in and cool. You're not much different. When external events are taken mechanically, we have problems. When we begin to eat life's impressions more consciously, we have fewer problems. You see, the fish that we catch in the dragnet, those are the impressions. We sit on the beach and we take the good ones, we put them in the containers, we take the bad ones, we throw them away. Then we cook them and eat them. Which ones do we cook and eat? Well, if you were smart, you're going to cook and eat the good ones, not the ones you threw away. And if you cook and eat the good ones, then you're going to start to digest life in a new way that's going to give you new force and a new body. This is what this work is about. But when external events are taken mechanically, we choke on the bones. You see, you get this fish. Why is this fish a bad fish? Well, because it's got too many bones. It's not edible. It's all bones. There's no meat. It's not edible. So all you do is you get all these bones stuck in your throat. So, then, so all you're doing is swallowing bread or you know, pulling bones out of your throat or coughing or gagging, having all these problems all the time because you're not able to digest this. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't even get it down. You're just constantly <coughs> throwing it back up, stuck, so that nothing will get down there. Once we get used to that, all we want is the bad. We don't even want the good anymore. Problems must be discarded, not identified with. Now, as it is, we identify with our problems. We don't discard them. We identify with them. Why? Well, because we're going to solve them. We identify with problems so that we can solve them. I just want you to know that that is the false personality's ploy. The false personality is the only thing that thinks it can solve life's problems. The false personality is the only thing arrogant enough to think that it can control all of life that it has control over your internal world. The false personality is the only thing that proud. Nothing else is that proud. The false personality walks the earth far too proudly. When you think that you're going to solve a problem, understand that your false personality has got you by the throat and you are nowhere to be found. You're somewhere down in the dungeon. You're somewhere down in the dark. You need to find yourself and bring yourself up into the light and make false personality passive because it's going to do you harm. It's going to steal your fish. It's going to take your impressions. And it's going to only leave you with bad impressions. It's going to feed you bones. If we continue to take the external world into our internal world mechanically, as we were taught by life to do, we'll have nothing but misery, disappointments, and upsets, and problems. If we can learn to catch the fish swimming through life, sort them before we let them into our internal world, everything can be different internally. Everything. Maybe not all at once, but everything will begin to change internally. Put the work between yourself and life through self-remembering. You'll take impressions differently. When you take impressions differently, you will have different force. There will be different forces working in you, and different things will happen in your life because your level of being will change. We live in a pain factory, and we have pain bodies that have been built by life 
in this pain factory. This is why we must practice not feeding the pain body and building a higher body that transcends external life. That higher body that transcends external life is built with impressions that we take in and mix with the work ideas, esoteric ideas, and that give us new force. That new body is built internally, apart from the external world, apart from external life. It's not a phenomenal body like this body that we're sitting in. It's a different kind of body. That's the one that we want to build. That is what this work aims at. That is why you're here. Forget all the other reasons that you're here. That's why you're really here. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work, and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.